0: Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. He's going to speak, amen? Are you listening? I said he's going to speak, but are you listening, church? Are you listening? I was praying this past week as I was given this opportunity to to minister the word of God to you, and I was praying for you, church. I was praying for the body of Christ. I was praying for for the believers that are in the house of God today. And the Lord began to reveal to me what will prevent a move of God. The Lord can move sovereignly, amen. We know that God can do anything that God wants to do whenever he wants to do it because he is God, Amen. amen. He can do as he pleases. But there are times, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 58, it says that Jesus did not do many miracles there because of a lack of faith. And so we have to be positioned, church, to receive that which the Lord has for us. And so the Lord began to reveal to me a few things that that were, you know, I believe something that we're doing well that, that God is pleased with. He wants us to know that. But there's... One particular thing that will prevent a move of God in this house, it's not a lack of worship. Because even if you don't give God praise, the rocks will still cry out. Amen? It's not a lack of teaching and preaching because without a preacher and a teacher, the Word of God is still alive and effective all by itself. Amen? I said the Word of God is still alive all by itself. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. Men have tried to burn this book and and throw it out and and, and tear it up, but it still remains. Amen. The Bible says that heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall remain forever. And I believe the word of God, it reveals to us this truth. It reveals to us this truth this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you have your Bible, open it up there, and I want us to read from these verses and Verse 1, it says, mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. People will be lovers of money. They will be boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love. Unforgiving, slanderous, ungrateful, without self-control. It says brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Do I need to read that to you again? People will be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. They will be more concerned with their whereabouts, with their coming and their going, with their plans, with their agenda, with their life, with their family, with their jobs and their businesses and their careers, more than they love God himself. And we sang this song this morning, and I didn't even know DJ was going to put it on the list, and, 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 and as I was praying, as God gave me this word, I said, oh, How perfect is that? And so this morning I want to talk to you, church, about returning to your first love. Coming back to your first love. The scripture says that mankind will turn their love and their affection away from God to that which is inferior. The Bible says do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where the rust and the moth will destroy, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Amen? Amen. Treasures of in heaven. People will turn to self-love. How many of you have heard that lately? People will turn to self-righteousness, self-justification, self-centeredness, selfishness, self-sufficiency without self-control because they love to please themselves rather than pleasing the lover of their soul. Jeremiah 2 and 2 says it this way. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem that this is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and you followed me. How many of you are saved, first of all? Raise your hand if you have given your heart and your life to Jesus. Amen. If you have said, I will deny myself every single day. I will take up my cross and I will follow him. Is that you this morning? Is that you this morning Then he says to you, go back to the days of your youth? My bride of heaven, I'm not in a, I'm not an old married couple with the Lord. Sorry to those of you that are a little bit older than me, but there's a saying that says an old married couple just kind of, they just kind of get by. Kind of exist together because the flames burned out. The flame that brought you together, the flame that initially attracted you, the flame that had drawn you into God, it's burned out and you're just like an old married couple. He says, As a bride, you loved me and you followed me. For those of us in here that are married, and I'm sure the ladies can testify if your man is by your side this morning, that he was probably very persistent in getting your love. Amen? Come on, ladies, you can testify. It's okay. Come on, that guy that's sitting next to you, that guy that, 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 that put that ring on your finger, that guy, he wooed you and he loved you and he told you everything that you wanted to hear so that one day you would be his bride. My wife's in the back and she says, amen. There it is. You would be on the phone for hours just to listen to each other's voice. Come on. Come on. You would call each other to check upon each other to see how they were doing. You'd call them after you got out of work. You'd call them before you left to work. You'd spend your entire paycheck on them. I used to have a 1979 International Scout. It smelled like gas. Some of you remember that truck if you've been here long enough. It was was a cool little truck. And I wasn't getting paid very much in those seasons and in those times, but I remember I had just enough to put gas in my truck and take out Mandy on Friday night. Just enough. And I got real smart because I didn't have a lot of money, so I went and I found the places where we could afford to eat. Amen. Some days, man, it was like the -the jack-in-the-box 99-cent menu. There used to be a restaurant in McAllen called the Blue Shell, and we would go, and there was this this fish, you know, plate, you know, meal that they would serve. And it was super cheap. It was like two plates for 15 bucks. I couldn't beat it. And so guess what? That was all that I could afford, and so that's what we were going to eat. But it was the best thing that I could do. I would roll out the red carpet for my wife. Just a few days ago, April 16th, we celebrated 24 years of being together to the glory of God. Amen. We've been married almost 15 years, but we've been together for almost 24 years. And our relationship back in those times, it didn't have social media. She didn't even know I was going to say all this. She's blushing in the back. But back then when we started our relationship, we didn't have social media. You know, we didn't have all this stuff. And so, you know, we had to call from house to house. You know, we had to, we had to pick up the phone and we had to call from house to house. And we, would, we had a notebook, and I should have brought it this morning because she still has it. But we would have a notebook. Because, see, my wife and I went to different schools. I went to the school here in Far, and she went to school in Edinburgh. And so the only times we saw each other was in the house of God. And I believe for those of you that are searching for a man and a woman, don't be searching outside of the house of God. Search inside the house of God. Amen. But we would see each other on Wednesdays and on Sundays and whenever the church was open and and we would pass this notebook to one another. And it had everything that we went through Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And then we would give that, we would exchange that notebook. And then we would read, you know, how our day went Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And then we'd pass it again on Sundays. And and we were growing so, so close to each other. Every day we would write something, just our thoughts, our frustrations. And it was so powerful that every Sunday and Wednesday I'd get to see her again. Madly in love. Madly in love. It's an awesome, awesome feeling. And the first summer that we were together, I'll never forget this. This was in 1998, a little bit ago. I went to go visit my dad who lives up in Idaho. And every day for three weeks, men take notes, every day for three weeks, I sent her a postcard. Back then, we had phone cards. Y'all remember those phone cards? Couldn't call long distance without getting a, a, a dumb phone card. So I had this phone card and I maxed out my minutes and I used it all up and I had to use all the money that my mom gave me to buy more minutes for the phone card. Because long distance wasn't free back then. Why all of this? Why all of these things? Because my future bride had captured my heart. I could not envision myself with anyone else because she was the one and she would one day be my bride. And Jeremiah 2 and 2 says again, it says, I remember how as a bride you loved me. This is the Lord speaking to you. How he wooed you in with his presence, how he drew you in with his loving kindness. He said, I remember the day that we met, how as a bride you followed me, how as a bride you loved me. But Jeremiah 2 and verse 13, a few verses later, says this, but my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me. I want to stop there just for a second. When you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to Matthew 16 and 24, that you would deny yourself, that it would not be about your will. It would not be about your life, but you would deny yourself daily, and you would take up your cross, and you would follow him. Amen? Amen. If you didn't pre- if nobody told you that, then listen, you might need to get reborn again. That's okay. We'll make time for that. But the Lord, church, the Lord says this. He says, you've forsaken me. You didn't forsake coming to church. You didn't forsake, you know, serving in ministry. You didn't forsake anything. You forsook him. And he goes on to say this, he said, the spring of living water, this is who they forsake. And they have dug their own cisterns, that is a well. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. I've heard it said in church that, I've heard it said rather that church should be the reason that you miss everything else. But I'm going to take that up a notch this morning. I believe Jesus should be the reason that you miss everything else. I believe that Jesus alone should be the reason that the world revolves around in your life. Amen. I believe that Jesus alone should be the center of your life. And everything else must be planned around him. Everything else, church. You do not incorporate God into your life. You surrender to him. We become more concerned with our careers, our incomes, our accolades, our professions, our family, our friends, our desires, our personal security, our building, our nest egg. And we're no longer thirsty like we once were for the things of God. Instead, we've thirsted after our own lusts of the flesh and our own lusts of our heart. This is what Jeremiah meant. As a bride, you loved me and followed me, but now you're no longer satisfied with my living water. Now you're no longer satisfied. Instead, you have dug up your own well outside of me to find pleasure in money, to find pleasure in your accomplishments. To find pleasure in things outside of me. He says this is what people do who have become lovers of everything else but God. At some point in their relationship with the Lord, they got bored with just being satisfied with his name and with his presence. You know, a lot of people when they end up in a divorce, it's because they grew out of love with each other. What initially drew that individual into that other, to their spouse is no longer the same. They look different. They got older. They changed. They no longer did the things that they did in the beginning to, to draw you in and to, to date you and make you feel special and loved. And this is exactly what the scripture is saying. At some point in their relationship with God, we got bored with just being with him and bored with just knowing his name and they've turned their hearts towards their wants their desires and their fulfillment and they've forgotten the cost of following Jesus. Luke chapter 9 I want to read this in verse 57 it says as they were walking along the road a man said to him i will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied to the man he said foxes have dens and birds have nests but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Is he still your bride? He says to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I want us to notice something that sticks out to me today. Nowhere in these verses does it speak of our own comfort. Nowhere in these verses does it speak about our own blessing. Nowhere in these verses does it speak about anything else but following him. Listen, if he is Lord of your life, then he does not take second place to anyone. He will never be happy with second place in your life. He must be first and he must be Lord or else he's not Lord at all. When I said yes to my bride, I took her to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till God by death do us part. I said it last Sunday and I'll say it again. The coming of the Lord is not a funeral. The coming of the Lord is not a funeral. It's not a day for you to dread. Unless you have not repented of your sins and Jesus has washed you clean, then it's a day for you to dread. But for those of us who have said yes to Jesus and he truly is Lord of our life, he truly is Lord of our life, that means that everything is second place. You're preparing for a wedding. You're not preparing for a funeral, church. You are preparing for a wedding. And so that day when you received Jesus as Lord, you entered into a covenant with the Lord. You entered into a covenant with heaven to have and to hold Jesus as Lord. For richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love him and cherish him till God by death bring you into his kingdom. Forever, church. And so the core of today's message is centralized around this verse in Revelation chapter 2. Verse 1, it says this, to the church of Ephesus. I'll say to the church of Rock of Ages, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, he wrote, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks amongst the seven golden lampstands. He said, I know your deeds. Do you know that he knows your deeds? Your coming and you're going, everything that you've ever said or done. He knows your deeds, he said, your hard work and your perseverance. He said, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people that have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you've found them false. He said, you've persevered. You've endured hardship for my name, and you've not grown weary. Listen, he's complimenting you. He said, when you had a reason to get weary, you didn't. When you had a reason to get tired, you did not. You've tested the spirit. You don't like wickedness. He said, I've seen your hard work, your perseverance. He said, yet this I hold against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. He says, repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. I want us to take a walk down memory lane just for a second and remember the day that you received Christ as Lord. Think about that moment. Think about that day, church. Think about that time in your life when you fully surrendered, when you said yes to Jesus as Lord. I want to share my testimony with you. I will never forget the day that the Lord resurrected my life and that I finally became a live church. That I finally came into the knowledge of knowing him as my Lord and as my Savior. For the first 15 years of my life, I grew up in a fairly normal household. You know, I, I grew up in, you know, with, with two brothers, a mom and a dad. And even though I did not know my biological father, I had a great stepdad in my life. I had a loving and caring mom and two awesome brothers. I grew up playing sports and music and we went camping and we did all these kinds of things. And I almost died a thousand times because I was asthmatic. But God had a purpose and a plan for my life. But one day, my parents got divorced. One day, my grandfather died. And one day, my stepbrother got in an accident. And and as a result of the divorce, I ultimately ended up in South Texas. Uprooted from the land that I knew, uprooted from the family and friends that I had. And God brought me to South Texas, to this church, to Rock of Ages. And it used to be a much smaller church. We were in this building on the other side where the children meet today but I had never went to church almost a day in my life. I had never grown up in church. Nobody had ever preached the gospel to me. Nobody had ever told me of this love that Jesus had for my life. And so my stepbrother during the Thanksgiving weekend of 1997, he was almost killed in a car accident. He was going hunting, and they were driving down an icy road, going 55, 60 miles an hour, and the truck spun out of control, and the the truck began to flip over, and he was ejected. He flew 30 yards, church, and he landed on his head in the middle of an icy highway. And I'll never forget that Wednesday night, I came to church, and I walked into that, that youth ministry, and I walked in there, and the youth pastor said this. He said, does anyone need prayer? Does anybody need prayer? I didn't know what prayer was. I had an idea, I had a concept, I didn't know who God was. But I accepted the invitation. And I told him, I said, listen, my brother's in the hospital. He was in a total coma for three and a half weeks. His his head was the size of larger than a basketball, he was unrecognizable. And I let them pray for my brother. Me not even knowing how to pray or how to agree with their prayer, I let them pray for my brother. Three weeks later, I got to go to Idaho during my Christmas vacation. I flew up there and I walked into a hospital room and my brother did not even recognize me. I had only been living in Texas for six months. He didn't recognize me. He had no memory whatsoever. But he was out of the coma. And over the next three weeks, I saw God bring him back to life, give him his memory. I saw God strengthen his body to where I witnessed him walk out of the hospital church under his own power. And I was left with this, with this, this thought in my mind. I was left with this in my heart. I said, surely, surely. Surely. This was not the hands of a medical doctor. Surely this was not the hands of some physician. Surely there is a God. Surely he needs to be served. Surely he's deserving of my praise. And it would be about three months later after hearing the gospel preached and my youth leaders preaching to me that I finally gave my heart to the Lord. And I can tell you, church, that was the first day that I've ever felt love in my life. That was the first moment that I ever felt love. That was the first moment that I felt like there was a tremendous weight lifted off of my life. I didn't even know I was carrying it. I had no idea where it came from, but this weight was was just taken off of my life. And for the first time, I saw Jesus. I saw Jesus, my sins were washed away and I was renewed and made brand new in the presence of God and his power and his presence and him were a reality now in my life. And I can tell you church that I would spend hours before the Lord, hours on my face in prayer, hours on my face at the altar, just being before him, just wanting to know him, just letting his word speak to me. Just letting his word transform this young man's life that knew nothing of who he was. And sometime later, church, it would be a few years after when I was 22 years old, the Lord would call me into ministry full time. And I had no idea what this God wanted to do with my life. I had no idea why he was wooing me in and why he was pulling me in, why he was was drawing me nearer into his life. And after some hardships in ministry... After some trials in ministry, after doing everything I could do for Jesus, I would play the drums for him. I would come to the church when nobody was here and scrape the gum off the bottom of the pews. I began to clean the church full time. I taught Sunday school. I, I, I served in youth ministry. I served in young adult ministry. I did everything that I could for the Lord church. But can I be real with you just for a moment? I've been real with you this whole time, but can I be real with you just for a moment and tell you, church, that over a period of time, the enemy worked hard to harden my heart. I said, the enemy worked hard to harden my heart through trial, through hardship, through betrayal, through loss through frustration, through fractured relationships so that my affection would turn from Jesus to anything else. And did you know, church, that sometimes God in his mercy has to break you down so that you can hit rock bottom, so that you can realize that he was the rock at the bottom the whole time? Sometimes the Lord has to humble us, amen? Sometimes the Lord, as a loving father, the Bible says that he loves those that he disciplines You see, church, you cannot build whatever you want if God is truly your foundation. And there were things in my life that I had begun to build on my own. Thinking that somehow I was still okay with God because, you know, I was still doing stuff for him. I was still in his church. I was still in his presence. And through a series of events, the Lord began breaking me down piece by piece. I thought I could do things on my own. And so Wednesday nights, I was literally here by myself leading worship. Had nobody for a long time. Didn't stop me from crying out. But it happened and it went on until I humbled myself to ask him for help. Now God gave me a powerful team of worshipers. Amen? God took many people and leaders who promised to stand by me through thick and thin out of my life until I bowed my knees to cry out to him for help and sustenance. Now God has given me fine men and women of God that love Jesus and want to see his kingdom in this place. Amen? Because in my cries, church, he heard them. In my humility, he answered. God even called my dad home after a two-year battle with cancer to restore my life unto himself. Hmm. Because in my cry for healing and deliverance for his life, it reignited the flame that I once had for The God of healing, it reignited the flame in my heart that I once had for the God who delivers church, my Savior and my Lord, Jesus Christ. Sometimes the Lord allows those things to happen in your life so that you can stop asking for everything else but him and start asking for him. But how many of you know that our God is a God of restoration? Amen. He is a God of restoration. I said he is a God that restores, amen? He is a God of mercy, church. He is a God that can redeem what is lost. He rebuilds ruins and he restores them to palaces. This is our God, amen? He brings in those who were wandering and lost and he makes them found and part of his family. And he alone, church, can forgive sin. He alone can fully restore us back to himself because my well was dry. My well went dry because my cistern could not hold water. And guess what? Mm. But my God's well never runs dry, church. It never (laughs) runs dry. I tried to build my own way. And I lost my love for him. John chapter 4 verse 13 says this. Jesus answered everyone who drinks this water. Now he's talking about man-made wells. He's talking about their family line and their efforts and their desires. He said, anyone who drinks from that water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. He said, indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Whoever drinks of that water, my friend. John 6 and 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow, go hungry. And he says, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I want to encourage somebody this morning. Maybe you have forsaken your first love. Maybe the flame of your love for Jesus has flickered out. You've spent seasons chasing out your own dreams instead of fulfilling his. Maybe you've spent time building your own kingdom instead of his. And it's time to come back to your first love. Amen? I said it's time to come back to your first love. In a moment, we're going to read out of a passage of the book of Psalms. And here we find, church, David's prayer after being confronted by the prophet Nathan after sinning with Bathsheba. And if you don't know the story, I want to read it Oh, I want to just summarize it for you. David one day, he is, he is now king. He's no longer the shepherd boy David, but he is now king. And David was on his palace balcony and he saw a beautiful woman. And knowing that she was married, he asked his servants to bring the woman to him. He slept with the woman and they had a child together. And to conceal his sin, he ordered that her husband, who was a soldier in his army, be sent to the front line so that he'd eventually be killed in battle. Did you know, church, that sin will take you further than you want to go and it will keep you longer than you want to stay? It's going to take you further than you want to go and it's going to keep you longer than you want to stay. But it is the biggest liar. I said, sin is the biggest liar. It comes from the enemy, the father of lies. Satan throws that bait of pride, of lust, of pleasure, of rebellion, and more, promising that you'll somehow be fulfilled in the process, but instead you're left in shame, in brokenness, and believing a lie. And Satan openly tried to tempt Jesus in this matter. In Matthew 4 and verse 80, it says again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He said, all this I will give to you, he said. If you bow down and worship me, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Did you know, church, that most often Satan won't ask for your worship, he'll ask for your time. I said, Satan won't ask for your worship. He'll ask for your time because whatever we give our time to ultimately becomes that which we worship. Whatever you give your time to ultimately becomes that which you worship. He'll offer promotions within the workplace that sound so appealing. Oh, you'll finally get that position that you've been wanting all these years. Did you know, church, that every curse can become a blessing, but every blessing can become a curse? Satan will offer you something that you're not ready for, but you'll take it because you did not listen to the voice of God, and you'll step through a door that God never told you to go through. And now when you've got the promotion, now when you've got the money, you've got no time for your family, you have no time for church, you're too exhausted to pray, and he wants you to forsake your first love. This is exactly what he's doing. He found a way into David's heart through lust to trap him and bring him down. And he will do anything to deceive you into cutting the heart of God. And so I believe the key to coming back to your first love is found in Psalm 51. I want us to read this quickly. Psalm 51 verse 1. He said, have mercy on me. (laughs) Have mercy on me. I'll keep reading. Oh God, according to your unfailing love, have mercy on me. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Verse four, in case you didn't get the reason why he asked for mercy, listen to verse four. Against you and you only have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight. Hmm. Don't let the enemy trick you into thinking. That it's anything else but between you and God. Your pastor might be disappointed that you didn't show up. And you took the day off and went on vacation or whatever. Your friends might be upset that, you know, you did something else that you had planned in your life. But listen to, my, listen to this word again, my friends. Against God and God only have we sinned and done what is evil in God's sight. He says, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. He says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from my time that my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in your womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. He said, so cleanse me with hisom and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. He said, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Verse 10, he says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. You see, that should be a, that's a powerful prayer, church. That is a powerful prayer. If you're numb right now, you need to be praying that prayer. And say, God, do not take your spirit from me. But renew, God, a steadfast spirit within my life. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I believe that is that place where you first met him again. Restore to me, oh God, the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And so there's six things that we just read. Number one, cry out to God for mercy. The Bible says there were two men that walked into the temple one day. One who was a Pharisee and the other who was a tax collector. Now nobody likes to pay their taxes. And so the tax collector was considered a pretty evil guy. Nobody liked him. But the Bible says that these two men, they go to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee begins his prayer like this. He said, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector over there. Oh God, I thank you that I look the part, that I talk the part, that I act the part. But I believe God in his word would say, you worship me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. But the Bible says on the other side of the altar was that tax collector. And the Bible said that he looked up to heaven and he beat his breast before God. And he said, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus posed the question. He said, which of these two do you think walked out justified and made righteous? Was it the one who thought he was righteous? Or was it the one who cried out to me for mercy? You see... Church, when you cry out to God in mercy, knowing that you can do nothing about your condition, you can't earn it, you can't change it, you can't go to enough services, you can't serve in enough ministries, you can't do enough within yourself to change your status and your spiritual status before God unless you are washed by the blood of Jesus. David didn't fear man. He feared God. He didn't fear man, he feared God. He knew that he was in a palace solely because God and God's grace and God's mercy had placed him there. And he used the power that God gave him for his own self-pleasure and so David cried out to God for mercy. Matthew 10 and 28 says, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. He said, rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. How many of you fear the Lord? That was kind of half-hearted. I used to preach to young people for about six years, and I would tell them this. I said, you know, God's pretty big. And God has a lightning finger that at any moment in time, just like what happened with Ananias and Sapphira, God could go, wipe you off the face of the earth. Do we fear the Lord again? Do we still fear him, church? Do we still reverence him? Do we still have that awe of knowing that we have not sinned against man? You've not sinned against your employer. You've always sinned against the Lord. Some of you are more afraid of your boss and your employer than you are of God. Listen, fear God with holy reverence. Amen? There's somebody that they should have been here today, but they said, oh, I got scheduled, I got to go into work, and so they're not here. Do you know, church, that if you live by Matthew 6 and 33, that if you seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, then you'll be absolutely taken care of? The Bible says that he knows everything that you need. He knows that you need clothes. He knows that you need food. He knows that your needs in your life, but he must be sought after first. David said, I've sinned against you and you only. I have sinned and done what's evil in your sight. And so he asked the Lord to show him mercy according to his unfailing love. You have no idea, church, how powerful the love of God is until you repent of your sins. Some of you might be telling, listening to me this morning, might be saying, Pastor Duke, I haven't felt God in years. Repent. You'll feel him right now in an instant. I haven't felt the presence of God in my life. I haven't felt God touch me. I've seen God all around me. I've seen God moving in other people, but I haven't felt him for myself. Repent. Repent. It's not that hard. His love is so intense, church, it burns away your sin and your condemnation that the enemy tries to sear into your hearts. His love, it washes you, it purifies you in the Lord's sight that we might become the righteousness of God. Titus chapter, chapter 3 and verse 4 says, When the kindness and the love of our God, our Savior, appeared. It says he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done. Everybody say it, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out into us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Verse 7 says, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. He's good. You can praise him if... If if he's good, amen. The second thing that David asked God for was this. He asked the Lord to cleanse him. David's prayer was for the Lord to blot out his transgressions and to wash away his iniquities and cleanse him of his sin. That word transgression means to break away from. He broke away from God. God did not break away from him. He broke away from God in his violation. That word means to behave as a criminal. It means disloyal, untrue. It means to violate The word iniquity means evil, guilt caused by sin, punishment, and malice. Isaiah 53 and verse 5 says, But he was pierced for your transgression. And he was crushed for your iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own ways and the Lord laid on him though. He didn't lay it on you, but he laid it on him, the iniquity of us all. The violation, the shame, the disgrace, the punishment that we deserve. He laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away, yet who of this generation protested Oh, oh, oh. Oh, man, there's people protesting the stupidest things in this world. I'm sorry I said that, but that's just the truth. There's people that would stand in line to protest that Chick-fil-A would be open on a Sunday. And nobody protested this. He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. Do you know you're included in this? Don't look at me and be like, Pastor Duke, I've never done anything wrong. I've never done anything wrong. We are included in this. This is what the scripture is saying. It said he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death though he had done no violence nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. It said after he has suffered he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. It says my righteous servant will just Many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion amongst the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. transgressors. How can you not love him? How can you not love him? How can your love grow cold for the Lord? How can we daily choose other things above him? How can we find things in time for anything else but him? Oh, Lord, purify us. Oh, Lord, purify us. David, asked God to create in him a pure heart. You'll know, church, that you'll never have victory over sin that you do not despise. This is why David prayed for a, a new heart. He prayed for a pure heart. I said, I'll said, i say it again. You'll never have victory over sin that you do not despise. David despised what he did in the sight of God. Every sin is within his sight. He asked the Lord to recreate his heart. Pastor Thomas on Wednesday spoke of this. He spoke of the, to examine our hearts. And so I was so blessed by that message. But listen. He didn't ask God to wash off our flesh. He asked God to purify our heart. Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, oh, you Pharisees. He said, you wash the outside of the cup. But the inside, it's the inside that counts. I don't want to drink out of a dirty glass. It's the inside that counts, church. Church. Jeremiah 17 and verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Can I tell you this morning, church, that I don't want what my deeds deserve? I said, I don't want what my deeds deserve. I want what Jesus paid to give me, which is life and righteousness in the sight of his Father. Somebody say this with me. Say, create in me a pure heart. Say it like you mean it. Create in me a pure heart. David asked for a steadfast, renewed spirit within Sometimes the flame of our love for God needs to be renewed. That's when it's burning brightly. Nothing else will satisfy your life. Listen to this invitation from the Lord in Song of Songs, chapter 2 and verse 13. He said, can you not discern the new day of destiny breaking forth around you? It says, the early signs of my purposes and plans are bursting forth. It says the budding vines of new life are now blooming everywhere. The fragrance of their flowers, whispers, there is change in the air. It says, so arise, my love, my beautiful companion, and run with me to the higher place. For now is the time to arise and come away with me. Mm. How many of you could turn down that invitation from Jesus? To arise and spend time with him. To go to that secret place where nobody else is but just you and your Savior. David pleaded with the Lord to not cast him away from his presence or to take his Holy Spirit from him. You know, the blessed hope that we have as believers is that one day, church, we will live in the eternal presence and rest of heaven. Amen. But David knew that he had the rest and the spirit of God with him at that time and he knew he needed the Lord's presence in his life at all times. At all times, church. How could we live without our first love? And finally, David asked the Lord to restore to him the joy of salvation. There was nothing more pleasing in my life than meeting my Lord and my Savior for the first time. Nothing. And if this morning somebody's heart has, has gotten a little, a little callous, a little weak, if it's old news and not good news anymore, then we need to pray that the Lord would restore unto you the joy of salvation once again. So that you know what it's like to love him just like the first time that you felt his love in your life. We know from scripture that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And without it, church, without it, we cannot continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. You see, if you lose the joy, then you give up the fight. If you lose the joy of your salvation, that you give up the fight. This is why people fall away, because they've forsaken their first love. They've turned to idols, goals, taking care of themselves. And this salvation in God just became secondary. This is why after the pandemic, churches lost a great number of people because they discovered after being away long enough that they could just simply do it on their own, or so they thought. They fell away from their first love. And so as I ask you to stand this morning, church, we need to ask him today to restore to us the joy of our first love. We need to ask him today to restore to us the joy of our salvation. How many of you have time for this this morning? Amen? If you would bow your heads in the presence of the Lord, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, it says, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Amen. I want to be saved. How about you? I said I want to know Jesus. Amen.